today. We have Vivek that no one can ever say your name right. Ramaswamy, and thank you so much for your time. Soon to be president. Really appreciate it. It's good to see you, man. How are you? Very good. Uh, two things I want to jump to, if you don't mind. The first yeah. debate, and they always cut you off on these news things oh. and everything else. It's so annoying. And I counted. I just counted 41. Whenever it's foreign policy, they stop right before the military the military industrial complex. They don't want you talking about that. Nope. So in the first debate, right when you were about to hit them with the five and everything, which would have made a big stink, quick cut you off. Yep. So I want you to finish that. What were you going to say in that debate about the industrial military complex that I don't think people regularly understand how serious that is? I was pretty unscripted in that first debate. And, and uh, you know, if I do the third debate, it's going to be the same way. I think it's better to come in without some sort of agenda. So that's a long way of saying, I don't remember exactly what I was going to say then, but I can tell you what I've been trying to say in countless other forums <laughs> where they've cut me off as well, even television interviews and otherwise. It's not, this is the stuff you're not supposed to talk about. So people should understand the military industrial complex. Who coined the term? That was Dwight D. Eisenhower in his farewell speech. This is a U.S. president going out, warning the American people. This, this guy doesn't have any political agenda, right? He doesn't have, he's not running some campaign that he's trying to pander and win. No, he's leaving office. So by the way, if you want to watch and understand American politics, forget the inauguration speeches. They're crap. They're full of unfulfilled promises. Don't waste your time. Watch the farewell speeches. Because these are people who do not have an agenda. They, most of them don't want to get the hell anywhere near the White House again. Mm -hmm. They've had it. They're out. They know they're not coming back after two terms usually. Listen honestly about what they actually tell you about their time in office. So this was Dwight D. Eisenhower, okay? I believe a man of integrity, warning of the rise of what was the beginning of what he never imagined what it's become today. With no alternative so, motive, too. With no ulterior motive. No, he, I mean, this guy, I mean, it's one thing if you want to be elected or raise money. Right. No, this guy's just leaving, dropping the mic and says, beware of the rise of the military industrial complex. Fast forward to where we are today. $843 billion, some odd budget at the Pentagon, something around that. OK, 50 percent of it, 50 percent is going to military contractors this year. Oh. Now, let's do some let's do some history here. 1993, they called this. The Last Supper, that's what they call it. There was a dinner hosted by Bill Clinton's yeah. Secretary of Defense, okay? <laughs> yeah. What does he do? He brings 50, now we had a competitive process, right? The government had to bid out contracts, and so that's part of the game of keeping the costs low. But it does create some inconveniences where the generals in the Pentagon or whatever don't have control over 50 different people. They need to consolidate. So they encourage in a meeting these 50-some-odd defense contractors to consolidate, to contract. Now we basically have you know, a small handful, you can count them on one hand, of mainstream defense contractors. They did consolidate. Now look at how much the costs have gone up. If you just take an example of a stinger, that's a shoulder-fired weapon, that look, looking to shoot at, you know, let's just say airplanes or things like that. We're selling them now for $400,000 Back before the last supper, that, that amount was $25,000. Even if you adjust for inflation and technological improvement, it's off the charts. Talk about You've never seen inflation of anything like that. Monopoly times a million. Government coordinated monopoly, right? The government literally convened these people, got them so that the government can control what they do in reverse. But what do they get? They get money out of it. 
And so then you just look under a microscope, look at who are the other Republican presidential candidates calling for war. I mean, the top one is this woman by the name of Nikki Haley. I mean, this yeah. character is off the reservation when it comes to leading us to World War Three. You could see the bloodthirst in her eyes, lusting for oh, it. Oh, she wants it. Oh, she wants it for sure. World War Three is, is the object, right? That's what she wants to get to. And yet, look at what she did after her short little cup of coffee stint mm-hmm. at the U.N., which she uses to claim as her foreign policy experience. Well, her foreign policy experience shows it's chosen her bank account. Her family starts a military contracting business, mm-hmm. leveraging their connections at the U.N. and won't say who their clients are. Of course they don't joins the board of Boeing, a company that she has consistently sold herself out to in her time as Boeing, South Carolina, Boeing, you know, (laughs) doling out Boeing is is like doling out special favors to Boeing. (laughs) And, you know, I'm an America first conservative. She's a Boeing first conservative. Now does special favors. What does she do? Join the board of Boeing afterwards, collecting nice paychecks, joins the board. These defense contractor people, these people in the defense industry, they also start investment firms. There's this one called Prism Global Management that invests in what they call choke points. That means they make money from war. Guess who's selling herself out for services at Mm. Prism Global Management? It's not none other than the advisor, Nikki Haley. God knows why they're paying her $750,000, but it's a way of making money. So this particular individual goes from being in debt in her time in the U.N., to somehow being worth millions upon millions of dollars, making it exactly the way we've described. Democratic Party, by the way, very similar issue. You got Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, selling off our foreign policy, joining the boards of Burisma, whose owner is one of the defense advisors to the Ukrainian government. You think it's an accident that we then send hundreds of billions of dollars (laughs) to Ukraine, the very company that paid them off. But my view is this goes beyond Republicans and Democrats. We've got a Biden crime family sitting in the White House. They make money selling off our foreign policy. I don't want to replace them with a Republican version of the same. And yet the, you know, the powers that be in the Republican Party are cheering it on. That's how ugly this game is. That's how the game is played. And that's why it's going to take an outsider to come in and fix it. And that's why every time it's brought up, they cut you off. Because I believe, in my opinion, anyone that's for war, they're getting paid somehow, some way. Because look at our country, the country that you're going to run. You got homeless. You got kids changing their body parts. You got education going to nuts. And we're fighting wars that aren't ours, spending tons of money. But what about us? Totally. But, but totally. they want it because they're getting a paycheck. You know, so, so, so I will say I've gotten to meet some of these people. It's a mix, actually. So there's a good number of them that are in it for the money. Right. Nikki Haley is a perfect example of that. I mean, this woman cares about profit and power and will do anything. Anything required to accumulate more profit and power. Say anything, pretend to be anything, do anything. That's one category. There's a different category of people who actually buy into this stuff. I mean, you take a guy like uh, Mike Pence. You know, he hasn't been as successful at making or raising money like this Nikki Haley character has. But Mike Pence, he actually believes this stuff, right? So, so some of these people, and, and I don't know which one's worse, actually. You could debate. But the problem you know, with Pence, and I think you would believers. Are, are worse in some ways. In some ways, the people who are paid out money are worse because they're they're cynical and bought and paid for. But both combine to create this neocon establishment in a Republican Party that I think has sold out the American people. And my view is that moral obligation of the U.S. president, it's, it's controversial to some people when I say this. I don't think it's supposed to be controversial. My moral obligation as your next president is to look after the interests of American citizens 
in the homeland. Period. Not to fight somebody else's war somewhere else. Not to print money off of some corrupt politician that's looking to make money off of their time in government service. No, my sole moral obligation is to the citizens of this nation, the United States of America. That's it. No other obligation. That shouldn't be controversial, but yet in today's quarters, you're not supposed to say that out loud. Not only am I going to say it, that's how you got to lead the country, but that's the controversy in the Republican Party today. Do we believe that or don't we? And that determines the future of our country. I love it, and I yeah. love that you actually got to say that fully out. And then as an, <laughs> as an outsider like myself, uh, you know, watching this stuff go on for all these years, I look at, you know, the Mitch McConnells of the world, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, right? And, you know, they give you that, like, we don't like each other. We're Democrats and Republicans. We hate each other. It's fake. But yet they're hanging out at parties and voting on stuff and doing stuff because it's for their own good and they're getting kickbacks. I mean, how sick is that that these people are doing this? And how do we change the outlook in Congress with, with the people that are there right now? Well, here's the dirtier little secret. The people in Congress are even mostly irrelevant. The people who we elect to run the government, they're not even the ones who actually run the government. They're puppets, mm, most puppets. of them. Yep. The, the real the, now the people at the top, the Mitch McConnell's of the world and the Nancy Pelosi's we could talk about, but the rest of them, I mean, they're all puppets. The real powers wielded by the administrative state, the people in those three letter agencies who were never elected in the first place. So my view is I'm going to give you <laughs> the worst ideas in Washington, D.C. are actually bipartisan. I mean, look at the bipartisan rush to send more foreign money, 61 billion another just printing it off to send to Ukraine. The worst ideas are usually bipartisan because they're the product of corruption. But the best ideas coming in from the outside to fight that corruption should not be actually particularly left-wing or right-wing ideas. My view is stop allowing for lobbying. If you have worked in the government, you should not be able to lobby that same government for at least 10 years after. If you're in Congress or if you're in the bureaucracy, for that matter, if you're a federal employee, if you're doing public service, I don't think you should be able to trade individual stocks Agreed. with your own discretion. Yeah. I just don't think that's appropriate. Now, here's the dirty little secret. Actually, about the markets here, and I come from the vantage point where my first career was in the world of hedge funds. Mm -hmm. I went to law school at the same time. I had a hedge fund job, was very successful at doing it. And, you know, I understand a little bit about how markets work and how people maybe a tiny bit, tiny bit and don't make money. You know, I mean, I, I could tell you about that. I'm not saying this to boast. Yeah, I'm no. bad at a lot of things. Yeah. But this is an area where I had success at a young age. I've met most of these people in Congress. I know them. I've met most of the people who are competitors in actual competitive markets on Wall Street and at the leading edge hedge funds that have been most successful over the last 20 years. So having known both sides of that, I can tell you that most earnest congressmen you should not be trading your own stocks. You will be worse than a monkey throwing darts at a dartboard if you're picking your stocks, unless you're doing it based on actual knowledge of what is or isn't going to happen. Look at congressmen buying stocks of defense contractors before the recent wave of war in the Middle East. People selling off their portfolios ahead of the COVID-19 pandemic coming to the United States. That's the and when they're getting special briefings on it about what's actually coming. Two years prior, we saw Peter McCullough had it. In 18, he had it. Mm. You know, it's, it's, unbe unbelievable. it's unbelievable. So this isn't a Democrat or Republican point, but no lobbying for 10 years until after you leave office. Don't trade individual stocks if you're a regulator or if you're working in Congress. 
I'd say that if you're regulating a particular industry, you probably shouldn't join the board of that industry afterward. Look at the most recent commissioner of the FDA joins the board of Pfizer right <laughs> after he leaves. I mean, this and, and, and it's not a Republican or Democrat point. Same thing across the board. You have Nikki Haley. She's serving as a governor of South Carolina, doing special favors for Boeing. Wonder why. They got a board seat nice and warm for her, oh, waiting yeah. for her to show up to sit on when she leaves to sit on the board of directors and collect a nice paycheck afterwards. So Republican or Democrat, these are basic rules of the road. I'd say get rid of the super PACs. Oh, the yeah. super PACs are cancer on American politics. If the actual max is 3300 bucks for donating to a candidate, that's what we tell people in this country. Great, keep it at 3300 bucks. Unfortunately, so long as the game is played the way it is, we, you know, different candidates have to play to compete. And it is a little bit of a unfortunate reality of American politics. Every and politician dances to the tune of their biggest donor. Mm -hmm. In my yeah. case, that biggest donor is it's me. You. And I'm going to keep it that way, right? And so mm -hmm. that's my view of this is that it's going to take an outsider who... I mean, unfortunately, it's just the reality. To break the system, it's going to be somebody who isn't captured by that system. I don't want a system where it's just wealthy people who have been self-made entrepreneurs that can run for U.S. president. I don't think that's optimal. But we're not starting from a blank slate. Where we're starting from now, that's the best solution we have. Come and break that system and then create a system in which, yeah, it actually is a $3,300 max per person, per candidate, per election cycle. That gets us back to integrity. And that solves a lot of our problems with the military industrial complex, solves a lot of our problems with big tech coordination. It's not big tech censorship. It is government tech censorship. Solves for special privileges you see in the pharmaceutical industry. Solves for a lot of foreign lobbying, nations that lobby the United States to get favored treatment. Look at what's happening in Azerbaijan. Huh. We could talk about that. That's what really fixes that broken system. And it's going to take somebody, I believe, coming from the outside, from a different generation to lead the next generation. That's just what it's going to take. And that's the choice we face in this election, which is why I'm in it. And being that you have worked with these major hedge funds, you need to know how they work, they trend, they, they make their deals to put an end to that industrial complex, which you've done and you have. So they yeah. can hit you left and right, but you have the experience, you've dealt with these companies, and you know how they work. So, I know how the sausage is made. Absolutely. So how do you do that? How do you get in there and knock that out? Knock that military-industrial so, contract out? So, so a lot of this, uh, even, even a good-minded president can make the mistake of thinking we need to do some of this through Congress. Save that for year two. Oh. In year one, I'm going to focus on the executive oh. branch of government. Mm. Right? So if I'm the president, yeah, you can do I run the executive branch. Right. I've been an executive means that if somebody works for you and you can't fire them, that means they don't work for you. That's right. Mm -hmm. It means you work for them, really, because you're responsible for what they do without any authority to actually change it. So that changes on my watch. Boom. Okay, my view is fire 75% of the people under me, okay? 75% first term, 50% of that should take place in year one. At least 1 million federal employees fired in year one. That sends a shock through the system of accountability. All right, that's how you actually drain the swamp. My hiring policy is matched to leadership. I believe in you know, servant leadership as a style of leadership. Fine, we play by the same set of rules both ways. If I can't work for the American people for more than eight years, then neither should any of those federal bureaucrats reporting into me either. Eight-year term limits for the bureaucracy instead of what they have today, which are these so-called civil service protections that stop 
them from being fired individually. Now, this is where they duped Trump. Yeah. They said these civil service protections stop you from firing people. Well, you got to read the law carefully. Those civil service protections only apply to individual firings. They do not apply to mass layoffs. And mass layoffs are absolutely what I am bringing to the D.C. bureaucracy. Right. So that's that's the way this game is played is that's how we've got to do this is mass layoffs, partly because that's the only way I think it's going to work operationally, but partly because that's what the law requires. I mean, if you're if you're firing people individually, these laws say that, okay, we don't want the U.S. president getting there and firing somebody at the FDA or the FTC or whatever, because I disagree with you on, I don't know, abortion or gun control. That's the logic of those laws. Like them or not, that's what the rules say. But that does not apply to mass layoffs. So my view is 75% headcount reduction across the federal bureaucracy. Shut down government agencies that shouldn't exist. FBI, shut it down. IRS, shut it down. ATF, shut it down. Nuclear Regulatory Commission that's hostile to nuclear energy in this country, shut it down. U.S. Department of Education, a federal bureaucracy that has nothing to do with education at the local level or should not have anything to do with education at the local level. Shut it down. Give the $80 billion back to parents across this country. And we can go into it. These aren't slogans for me. We have detailed plans on how to get each of these things done. I mean, even the FBI one, people hit me on that. The Chris Christie's and Mike Pence's of the world say it's a terrible idea. Why is he running? Uh, This episode is brought to you by Fiji. More than just water. This is not just rock. It's ancient volcanic rock that filters tropical rain giving it double the electrolytes and its signature soft, smooth taste. It's not just water. It's Fiji water. This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. Are you the man your father was? Recent studies have shown that men's testosterone levels have dropped substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. Think about how old your father was when he was born. For example, if he was 30, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his. Low testosterone levels can have all type of health effects on men. It can affect your mood, sex drive, memory, muscle mass loss, you name it. And yes, low testosterone is more common the older you get, but it can affect men at any age. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in a discreet packaging with next day delivery. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. So... If you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, visit trylgc.com backslash Media and get 25% off your test using the code Media. The link is in the description at the top. Other than to put more bank money in his bank account, I, I lived in Philly, so when the whole Jersey thing oh, happened, you know I was that. there. Okay. Yeah. So okay. how he can even stand up there? I mean, come I mean, on. He became a lobbyist after his time. Yeah. In yeah. Okay. Dirty. I, I think. Dirty. I think if you're Nikki Haley, you become a government contractor or a military yeah. contractor or sit on the board of Boeing. You're disqualified by the voters. You should be disqualified 100%. from running. Chris Christie, if you've become a lobbyist, right? I mean, look, if you worked in government and it's within the rules to lobby, I guess it's not an honorable thing. I wouldn't do it, but. If you want to do that, that's fine. But then don't, by God, spare us the presidential run. You don't deserve to be the president of the United States or come anywhere within spitting distance of the White House. It's just basic rules of the road, basic principles. If you want to work in government and then make money off your time in government, then get the hell out of the way when it comes to running for president. Let it be somebody who actually wants to do public service. That's not complicated. But anyway, this is how you gut the swamp. Anti-corruption measures 
proper hiring policies in the federal government, 75% downsizing of the federal employee headcount, shut down agencies that shouldn't exist. I was actually talking about, you know, these, these, these uh, Pence and Christie characters who call my plan to shut down the FBI a awful idea, something that we have to, we have to be fearful of. No, I reject that. I reject that with a, you. We have a practical <laughs> plan, right? Yeah. There's, there's 35,000 employees at the FBI. Right. 20,000 of them are literally in back office functions, sitting in the back of the J. Edgar Hoover building in Washington, D.C. By the way, isn't it wild they still call it the J. Edgar yeah. Hoover building, honoring that corrupt man's legacy? It's how it's run today. The 20,000 bureaucrats in those back office functions, go home. We're going to have to find honest work in the private sector. Good luck with that. That ends on my watch. We shut down the FBI. But 15,000 investigative agents on the front lines that are effectively like federal cops enforcing the law, move them to the U.S. Marshals, which has actually been way more effective than the FBI without the corruption and fighting child sex trafficking or otherwise. Move them to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network where they can go after the future SBFs, complex white collar crime in this country. FBI doesn't even have specialization to do it. Just put them in the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, in the DEA to go after the fentanyl epidemic. This is how you actually both improve effectiveness, save cost, and cut bureaucracy. And so these are deeply pragmatic ideas. It's going to take a CEO to get the job done, and I think it's going to take somebody from, I'm biased on this, but from the next generation, from a new generation, to lead the next generation of Americans. And you're not going to get that from the from these politicians of yesterday. No. I just don't think it's going to happen. And see how you just explained that to it. me? You just explained to me how you could do it. Because everybody goes, well, how can he do it? How can he do this? You just said simple. If you have a business and you're the executive, yeah. you can executively fire Rob. Right. It's that simple. But they never let you finish I anything. I work for you. Yeah. And then that That's leads, right. And then that leads me into this. And we've probably had... I maybe I could probably count a hundred. Okay, let's just say a hundred. And I bring up your name, and they're kind of on the cuff. And then I say, "No, he's going to wipe out the education. He's going to wipe out the DOJ. He's going to do this." And then they start to pay attention because you know they have kids that are coming up. They wanted to be cops, don't want to be cops anymore. He's going to get rid of them all. And they go, "What? Well, how's he going to get rid of them all? How's he going to stop big pharma?" And I go, well, while he was working with the hedge fund, he was there when he, you opened up your own company, bio company, yep. and five drugs were approved by the FDA while you were there. So I you played the game. You I've also seen, know how understand. that works. Yep. And, 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 and I understand how big pharma mm-hmm. plays its games. Now, they don't like me very much because I call out That's exactly a good how that hypocrisy is played. And, and I understand it's one of the greatest lobbying organizations of all time. I mean, big pharma, big tech, a couple of others we can identify that fit this description, you know, military industrial complex high on that list. My view is big pharma is just an extension of big government. It's how it's behaved for the last, you know, 20 some odd years. So the business I built challenges them to say that they're not developing medicines in certain areas because they softly coordinate. We'll pick those medicines and five of them are approved today. That's how I built a multi-billion dollar company. Congratulations. Thanks, man. And, and the funny thing is, even the people who work there, they treat them like bureaucrats. So even if you're the scientist who discovered one of those medicines, all right, you don't participate individually if you're down deep in the ranks of the bureaucracy. You don't get the upside of that. That's insane. But if you take a risk and you fail, they might cut your budget or fire you. So my view is turn that upside down. We just gave skin in the game, upside, 
to the individual scientists who developed those individual medicines. Turned out a lot of those people, it wasn't just me, a lot of those people made great wealth doing it as well. And so that's that's the way that I built that company. But anyway, I understand how broken the FDA approval process is. So I'm an absolutist when it comes to medical choice, okay? I, I believe in right to try. I could have developed each of those medicines for a much smaller fraction of those costs if the FDA didn't create a bunch of those barriers to say that you as a patient can't even try one of those medicines, even if it's through phase two and you have a good amount of information and you want to make a medical choice for yourself, understanding the risks and benefits. The way it works today is you don't even have the right to try that. You don't. We say that it has to go through 10 years, billions of dollars. That's what inflates the cost of drugs in the healthcare system. You don't have the right to try it. Yet the same federal government that tells you that <laughs> was the same government that says that in this case, if there's a COVID vaccine that they rush out within nine months, you have no choice but not to try it. So I'm a right to try absolutist in both directions, right? To try it even if it hasn't been approved. And you have a right not to try it even if it has been approved. But you don't hear that because I, I think that the other dimension of this, you have a lot of politicians who are angry and some of them you know, are saying what they're taught to say. But you got to understand the why, understand exactly how that works in order to fix it. Take the special liability protection that Big Pharma yeah, engineered for itself for vaccine manufacturers. Yeah, tell me you're you going to take one? that away. Yeah, I, yeah, I know that. all about Absolutely it. Strip yeah. it. Absolutely strip that protection. You, right? Peter That's McCullough will, Peter, Dr. Peter McCullough, Malone, everybody will love you to death if you strip that out. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's that's the ultimate crony capitalism. Crazy, and there's, there's a version of this for big tech. That's what allows big tech to censor content even oh. while violating state laws without actually being liable for it because the federal law of Section 230C2 gives them a special blanket of immunity. Really? So this is the – yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, I can tell you about that. So Yeah, could you please – I think the viewers really interested in this too. It, but it's a parallel to the big pharma version of this because right. the same pattern same repeats thing. itself. Military industrial complex, same – there's a version of this too. Wow. But big tech here. So – so, so there's state laws across many states in this union that say we want to protect people from political discrimination. So they say there's no political discrimination. Florida has a law. California has a law. This is one that actually Florida and California, two very different states, many red and blue states alike, have laws that prevent Internet companies or any company from discriminating on the basis of not just race or gender or sexuality, but also on the basis of political belief. However... There's a special law. It's just like the pharma companies, a special blanket of immunity that applies to tech companies that say that even if a state law says that, <laughs> you can't be sued. You have a special <laughs> federal blanket of immunity. It's Section 230C2 that says even if you're taking down content that is otherwise constitutionally protected. It's almost literally what it says in the law. I think it uses words like this. Otherwise constitutionally protected. You still can't be sued under those state laws that would have stopped the companies from doing it as long as you're a particular class of company. It's a tech company that operates an internet website. So it's another special form of crony capitalism. So my view is make that at least an opt-in statute to say that, okay, either you get to be a private company and the government isn't telling you what you do or want to do, but then you get to be sued if you break the rules, right. or you get this special blanket of federal governmental immunity but then you're bound by the same constraints as the federal government, including the First Amendment. But you can't have it both ways. 
but but I, I go into this level of detail. Why? I mean, I can talk about the vaccine manufacturers, the special shield if it's a vaccine, but not other. But product with that, there, if when you become president, would you put that into play? Where these companies I've, have to pick? All of this is stripped back. Ooh. All of this is stripped wow. back. People are going to so, love so, that. But it's going to take a president who actually understands the what and the why, right? Nobody there are times that. in American history where you might get a president who's like, okay. You have the real thinkers that give him the policy book and the president's just a little executor. This isn't one of those moments. The threats to liberty in this country are complicated right now. They're not simple threats as we might have seen in decades past. It's a hybrid of state power and corporate power. It's the government tech censorship, big pharma lobbying the federal government, the military industrial complex. It is a hybrid of state power and corporate power that together do what neither one can do on its own. Mm -hmm. That's the truth of where we are today. And so in those moments, we require somebody who has a lucid understanding of those unique threats. That's what it takes. And so I'm in this race. I mean, if you asked me last September, was I going to be running for president? I'd say you were crazy. <laughs> sounds like a sharp poke in the eye. Right? Yeah, we had right. our second son. He's, he was born last year. Congratulations. Right? Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. You guys have kids? I I, have, I just had my first daughter three years ago. Uh, so she Congrats. just turned three in September. Thank you. My older one's three, so I know what that's like. Yeah, and, yeah. And so, and so you, I, we all want to know, first. what do we do? Like, my daughter's three. Do I put her in private school, public school? Like, I'm scared. Homeschool. Homeschool home is, is, is the but, only but way that involves now. a significant investment of energy, though. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Breaking news, Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shave your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to Manscaped.com and using code MSCS Media for 20% off and free shipping. No one likes a weird beard, so say goodbye to all the stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is a monster of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. No more messing around in drawers, this color one, that color one, all with one guard. Plus it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower and avoid all that hair in the sink. The Pro Kit doesn't end there though. First, there's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember your hair is different. Next, Manscaped's beard oil. Cap it off with beard balm. The Pro Kit also comes with three different gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code MSCSMEDIA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code MSCS Media. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. But as I got older, started working out, I had to watch out for sugar and empty carbs. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you'll love, but high protein and less sugar. The variety pack, four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five net grams of carbs, only 140 calories per serving. It's high protein, zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. The fruity one, I'm done for. I can eat the whole box, no problem. Go to magicspoon.com slash MSCS to grab a variety pack and try it today. 
And be sure to use promo code MSCS at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That says something. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash MSCS and use the code MSCS to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, does your does your wife work? If you don't mind me asking. No, that? no, does not. Okay, does not. Have you considered homeschooling as an option? Yeah, that's where at first it was going to be private, and then uh, Patrick McDavid, as you know, he was in, and he had yeah. explained that you know unless you really know the private school, that's not very that's not the best option either. So yeah. you know we're, we know that you're heavy with the education and the schooling and everything. That's another thing. How do you fix that? Yeah. That's a big, big thing. How do we do it? So, so you got to go to the head of the snake. I'm a big fan of going to the root cause of these problems. In this case, the root cause of a lot of the problems in our educational system is actually none other than the Federal Department of Education. So education is administered locally, right? And, and you could have a competitive system, but we don't. In part, this is driven by the Federal U.S. Department of Education. So they spend $80 billion of our taxpayer dollars each year. And what they do, they do a lot of things with this. I mean, some of this goes to subsidize four-year college degrees to be a gender studies major in California without doing a thing to subsidize or help somebody pursuing a one- or two-year vocational program. That's a mistake, and that's part of what's led to the overbloating of college education and the soaring tuition costs without getting much out of it. So they artificially tilt the scales to four-year college Mm. degrees, instead of actual one or two year programs. Put that to one side. That's that's one of the many sins committed by the US Terrible. Department of Education. But one of the things you want to talk about K through twelve, you know, your daughter, my son, beginning to enter the school system. Well here's one of the things that they do. They say they say to local schools, you don't get this money, but now today, because the federal government hands it out, every local school has to take it. It's about ten percent of their budget. They say you don't get this money Unless you adopt these toxic agendas, toxic racial agendas, toxic gender ideologies. But then guess what? They also tell certain schools, you don't get that money. If you do have programs, like there was a school, I forget which state it was in, but they they had a program that would teach you archery, right? Or certain skills development. They say you don't get that money. Pennsylvania. If you're also teaching certain programs that they don't believe is is the kind of programs we want to teach American kids in their schools hunting hunting and archery it was well, only it's only, the, only the state that we're from, from pennsylvania only that the was. state that we're from yeah. that used to be cool but now is a dump yep it is a dump so you had, yeah. you had, you had, you had unfortunately the dump of a system because of josh shapiro your yeah. you know latest governor in pennsylvania Great guy yeah we'll get back to that in a second who vetoed a school choice program that he that he previously pledged to support Sick guy. but anyway my solution is this 80 billion dollars at the u.s department of education shut it down, send that money back, $80 billion to parents across this country that they get to then choose where they send their kids to school, the best possible school. Now, there's a there's an opportunity here, okay? 90% of the time, if you're switching your kid from a worse performing school to a better performing school, you're also switching them from a school that spends more money per student to a school that actually spends less money per student. So I'll give you a, an actual, I, I don't know the Philadelphia numbers. I know you're from Pennsylvania, but uh, 
they're approximately not that far off of where the New York City numbers are. I'll give you the New York City numbers. New York City, public school, $40,000 per student per year for a bad one. Mm. If you're moving them to a charter school, you could be less than $20,000, $15,000 per student per year in the expense. So my view is if you've shut down the Federal Department of Education, you've put that money in the hands of parents. Parents are already choosing where to send their kids to school. That's just school choice. I'm at school choice on steroids. If you switch from the worst performing to the better performing school and there's a difference in cost that's in your favor, $20,000, $25,000 difference, I think the parents and the kids should be able to take half the difference with them. So do the math on that. $40,000 minus $20,000 is $20,000. Half the difference is $10,000 per year. Put that in the account of the kid. If you just invest that normally, even just standard normal investment returns over 10, 12 years, mm -hmm. that kid is graduating with a quarter million dollar graduation gift when they graduate. Yeah, It's not even close, which is a better use of money, feeding some bureaucracy or actually allowing that kid to get a head start in the American dream with a quarter million dollar graduation gift mm. when they actually graduate from high school. And by the way, I want the public schools to compete with the private schools. Get rid of the teachers' unions. The teachers' unions are what increase the cost of those bad public schools. I'm also a fan of civic education. Well, once you've got competition, you've got choice, you've got transparency. If you're going to teach it in the classroom, you better put it on the Internet. If you don't want to put it on the Internet, that probably means you shouldn't be teaching it in the classroom. Now you've got transparency. You've That's got great. choice. You've got economic mobility. Now you bring in civic education from a bottom-up perspective. My view is every high school senior who graduates from high school should have to pass the same civics test that every immigrant has to pass mm -hmm. in order to become a voting citizen of this country. You got to have skin in the game to play in that game. You got to know something about a country to value that country. So that's how I'm thinking. Of. I mean, these are just, I'm giving surface yeah. level stuff here, but at least to give you a sense comprehensively of how I would think about educational reform in this country. Those are the building blocks of how we do it. And, and yeah. I think I think one of the biggest issues too. I have two uh, two sons, one in uh, middle school, one in high school. Is school, and I mean this in the most respectful way. But bad teachers, you know, there's bad, yeah. there's bad chefs out there. There's bad, you know, everything out there. But bad teachers who continue to get away for years doing nothing. And the kids suffer for it, but they can't fire that teacher because of the union. That's the biggest crock of shit. That's totally right. And so get rid of those teachers unions. You have meritocracy. I mean, it's sort of what I was saying about the federal government. Yeah. I mean, federal government, you got these special protections. No, get through that. If you work for me and I can't fire you, that means you don't work for me. Well, you do. So I'm firing you if you're underperforming. Full stop. And then that actually leaves more resources to say that, Teachers don't have to be capped out on how much they're paid. The teachers that do the best job, they should be able to be overcompensated relative to now, but compensated relative to the actual merit of what they're accomplishing for students. That's and, great. And so I'm just a big fan of just reviving this, this idea. It seems like we've forgotten anymore, this idea of merit. Yeah. Meritocracy. I, I love what you said. In every area of American life. That's market, what we market the school. Put it on the internet. Show what you're doing because you've right. got to sell yourself. you got to sell the school. Exactly. you got to sell it. And if you don't have that, then you can just get away with whatever you want and nobody knows anything. Uh, I know you're short on time, so I'm yeah. just trying to run through some things. Appreciate that, guys. Uh, the border. We, we had seen the other day that there was a pile of border that was already paid for and done, I believe in Mexico, right? Yeah. And they were selling parts of it for pennies on the dollars. Like a you know, a general contractor comes up, 
hey, we'll give you a, a bunch of this for $10 that was already paid for by us, the American people, to build that wall, part of it. And they're just selling for penny on the dollar to the point where I believe somebody in Texas, uh, GC, started building what they had there or somehow mm-hmm. somebody was started building it. But they were selling for pennies on the dollar just because of Trump or whatever dumb reason it may be. So when you get in there, you got a lot to deal with, but you got the endurance, the border. Everybody's the border of the border. Yeah, but the biggest thing to me with the border is the terrorists. How you, you know, okay, so you get in there. I know you're going to be strong. You got the energy. You know, we've had all the CIA guys in the heads. How do you track down those terrorists before they go quiet and it's too late? Because you know they're in here, but they keep dodging it everywhere on the media. And the first issue also we got to face it we got two border crises. We've got one on the southern border, we've got one on the northern border, actually, too. People don't talk about this one. So in the last few weeks, I've actually been to both. I've been to the northern border in the northern part of New Hampshire. I'll tell you a funny story about that. And I've been to the southern border. The northern border, huh. it's interesting. So we go out the other side, like so it's to be the angle of what you'd be would look like if you're coming in from Canada into the U.S. Yeah. So there's the Customs and Border Patrol, okay? They've got the barbed wire fences, big red signs, says you cannot enter, come this way. And then right underneath that, there's another sign. I'm not even making this up. We got a picture. I put this up on my Twitter feed a while ago. Yeah. People can check it out if they want. I'm not making this up. We have a video of this. We'll pop it. Right underneath that sign, do not enter, et cetera, is a sign that says hiking trail this way. (laughs) So I'm like, let's go check this out. So I went hiking on that trail. That hiking trail goes in and out of Canada to the United States, (laughs) wide open, totally wide open border. It's a joke. Yeah. It's made up. And oh. so then, then people could come around, you know, end of the state of New Hampshire. Then there's this little creek that you have to cross. I just said, let's check this out. Let's walk across. It's about, it's about you know, maybe hip deep, knee deep, if that. Walk straight across, no problem. There you're, then you're into the rest of the country. So that's the northern border. And by the way, even New Hampshire, just in the last year or so, they captured a Brazilian man. He's not crossing from the southern border. He's crossed. I mean, we don't know exactly where he crossed, but it's in New Hampshire. So I presume he could have come across the northern border. He's killed 11 people. He's a murderer of 11 people. You former ex-military in Brazil, in this country. So the the next week, I go to the southern border. I'm in Eagle Pass, Texas, on that southern border. I have never seen in my life a more organized, government-orchestrated breakage of the rule of law than what I saw on that southern border. It's insane. The government's literally facilitating it. There's a 12-year-old girl who just crossed with her father. It's sad. We asked her. I mean, by a Spanish. Did you saw the diapers, the condoms that were there? We had John Rourke in. He was just there. It is. It's worse than third world. It's worse than third world, right? I mean, and it's sort of bizarre because you got people actually in Eagle Pass, the region that I visited. There's, it's sort of dystopian. There was a golf course. There's a bunch of people playing golf. Really? Right here. It's kind of odd. It's weird. It's sort of dystopian, they're right? Like, they're just like illegal migrants just like crossing over. In the middle and going of the golf up, being up, I hit a four. guy. Cross. Four, I hit the guy cross it, and go get the it, ball. It's literally out of like some sort of Orwellian, dystopian, dark, satirical, cynical fiction. The, the, the whole golf course kind of is a little odd. That, that would have oh, thrown me off. Yeah. Oh, and then parts of like sort of the barricade that they've built are like there's these, there's these large – sort of industrial sized container that's a China shipping company. Oh, that's cool. Anyway, <laughs> it, it, it's sort of, it was a dystopian experience. But what, what struck me from being there is this is not a technical challenge. 
right? The country that put a man on the moon, we can figure this one out. I'll tell you how we do it. There's actually aquatic barriers. So in the water, floating barriers that Texas, the state is paying to put up, but the federal government doesn't want to do it. Why does the federal government not want to do it? It's not because it's not effective. It's because it is effective. It is effective. Right. So this is part, part of the problem is we pretend like there's some difficult issue of how we're going to prevent terrorists from entering this country. Seal the borders. Use our military. If you're going to use it to seal somebody else's border halfway around the world, forget that. Seal it. Our own southern border. Use it to seal our own southern border and our northern border, too, in this country. Not just build the wall. Build both walls, southern and northern. If they're building tunnels underneath that wall, as they are in some regions now, the U.S. military presence sends a signal. We're not going to stand for it. The way people are coming in right now is people just show up to the asylum office right there on the southern border. They say, hey, I just checked the box for asylum. No questions asked. Five, ten years later, you're left untracked. You don't even show up for your court date a year, two, or five years later. Well, that was what the cell phone was for, remember? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? It, they're not using it for that. The one that it's, I paid for in my big, taxes, Big I mean. surprise. Yeah. yeah, big surprise. The person who just broke the law is going to break the law again. Yeah. Turns out that's not that surprising. Uh, unless it's part of the broader plan mm-hmm. in this country, as I believe it is. So that's a long way of saying that I can have this problem solved by March 31st, 2025. This is not a technically challenging problem. You would just dig right into it. Because when you say you could do it quick, I believe you can. You ran businesses. Like, business is no different than anything else. People just got to listen. I mean, harder problems than this one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, What I would tell you as well, right? This is, I mean, you line up a bunch of people in the military on our southern border, finish the wall that was already being built, make sure that if you're going to apply for asylum, you have proof of political persecution. None of them do. And then, you know what, if you're coming to this country from one of these special interest nations, Islamic jihadists or otherwise, you're extradited. We're extraditing you to, if you're in Hamas, you're extradited to Israel, whatever it is. We're not standing for the large-scale violation of the rule of law at our own borders. Now, if you want to take about good border policy, there's also, I'll take one step back to be even more comprehensive about this. It's not just the barricades. Put yourself in the shoes of one of those illegal migrants, Okay. There's a cost of coming here, Mm -hmm. making the trek to come here. There's a probability of success of crossing the border. And then there's the upside of actually being here at the southern border. All right. So all three of those things go into the equation. Let's talk about the the cost of actually coming here. We got to increase the cost of that. No aid to Central America or otherwise. We're not going to use our taxpayer dollars to send it to Central American countries until they're building barricades for people coming from Venezuela on upward for their own borders. That's what's happening in this country. That'll so stop that's it quick. In, I mean, that's that, that would sure. stop the, the massive mass yeah. migration problem pretty quick. Everything we talked about before, the aquatic barrier, the wall, the military presence on the southern border, that reduces the probability of success of crossing and then reduce the upside of actually being here. Not another dime of taxpayer money using to fund federal sanctuary cities, breaking the rule of law. Forget about that. And then I go one step further than the rest of the GOP here. I believe that we have to end birthright citizenship for the kids of illegal immigrants in this country. They're abusing it to death. It was never designed. The 14th Amendment was never designed to be used for illegal migrants. And if you read the 14th Amendment, yeah. you know, the left will howl, well, what about the Constitution? The difference between me and them is I've actually read the Constitution. Yeah. So here's what it says. The first opening words, 14th Amendment, Section 1, says, all persons born or naturalized in the United yeah. States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof 
shall be citizens. So why do they add the and part? Okay. You think it's just there for no purpose? No, it is there for purpose and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Think about this. What does that mean? If the kid of a Mexican diplomat is in this country, let's say a Mexican diplomat comes to this country right. and he has a kid in the United States of America. Does that kid enjoy birthright citizenship? The answer is no. no. Nobody, no court, no legal scholar believes it. A Mexican diplomat born in the United States, his kid is still a citizen of Mexico. Well, if that's the case for a Mexican diplomat who's in this country legally, then just think about it by way of analogy. Somebody, Mexican illegal migrant in this country has a kid here. That kid doesn't enjoy birthright citizenship either. It's intuitive. It's an analogy, but it's also deeply, if you look at the case law and work its way up, I can give you a more complex version of this. I'm sure the current Supreme Court agrees with me on this. There's only one appellate court that's ever ruled on this, a guy by the name of Judge Posner held on this, agreeing with my view. This is what the law already says. So as the next president, I swear an oath to the Constitution of this country. I swear an oath to the U.S. Constitution that's what it means. It's following and enforcing the law accordingly. So that's the way I, I, I would roll on this. And what's funny is it's already there. It's yeah. not, it's, you're just applying what should be applied. Totally. The totally. other thing is, um, <clears throat> you know, in, in the United States, say I tear my rotator cuff or hip yeah. surgery. We have, we've had a ton of guys. They come in here and then they say, hey, in two weeks, I got to go to Costa Rica to get, stem cells or a flu top or or things that we could easily use here but big pharma wants you to go get surgery bill your insurance and then take thirty-seven thousand pills for the next 20 years when you could go to portugal or costa rica get some stem cells a flu top whatever it may be and you come home and you don't need anything what can you do where we don't have to go to costa rica to get stem cells that aren't hurting anymore? where do you stand with all that because there's I'm, a Sorry. I'm in favor of medic, absolute medical choice, right? Just because the FDA hasn't approved it doesn't mean you should not be able to take it, fully aware of all of the risks. But that also means just because the FDA has approved it doesn't mean that you should have to take it, as is the case with the COVID vaccines or was during the COVID pandemic. So I'm a medical choice absolutist. I don't think that that's controversial. No. It's your body. You get to decide what you put inside of it. Right. And you get to decide what you don't put inside of it. It's, it's a simple proposition. And I think that brings down health care costs in this country yeah. dramatically. Dramatically. You know who's against that? Everyone else, probably. <laughs> well, big pharma. Big pharma. You know, and, right? and the FDA, because that then keeps the competition out, which means if you're going to bring a new product to market, it increases the cost of doing it, which increases the barrier to entry, which in turn reduces competition, which in turn, what does that do? Of course, it has the effect of increasing the monopoly power of companies to sell products at a higher price. That's just the way the game is played. What about mental health? Because I think mental yeah. health is, is a big thing, especially if there's not a father in the home or something may have happened. A lot of things that happened or that happened in America, if somebody would have just talked into that person, had a conversation, got them into the right situation, maybe it wouldn't have happened. I don't think we put any time, real time, or enough time into mental health. What do you think could be done to make this country better? Because when we were growing up, kids weren't, didn't have all these ADHD and, and mm -hmm. all kinds of things that we've never heard of. So something has changed. I mean, processed food, everything else you could blame it on. But 
a lot of these kids I don't think need that medication. It's just, here's a pill. This is the easy way. When if you just talk to them, there's no pills. So I think that there's a mental health crisis in this country that we don't solve or we should not solve by just pumping more pharmaceuticals into them. Thank you. I mean, we need faith-based approaches. I mean, I'll tell you what's going on more deeply in this country. And we have some issues we can talk about with social media and kids and otherwise. I don't think that if you can smoke, you can't smoke an addictive cigarette till you're 18. And on the medical choice thing, that applies to adults. But kids aren't the same as adults, okay? So kids are in a different category. Adults, you're free to decide what you want. Kids are different than adults. We have to protect kids. If you can't smoke an addictive cigarette by the age of 18, if you can't have an addictive drink of alcohol by the age of 21, I don't think you should be using addictive algorithmic social media products before the age of 16 either. Mm. And so that's fueling part of the mental health epidemic in this country, no doubt. Absolutely. It's also where people are setting up you know, rendezvous with their molesters or their child yeah. sex traffickers mm. or, or people who deal them fentanyl or otherwise. But there's something deeper going on culturally. I mean, young people are so starved for purpose and meaning and identity in the country right now. Starved for it. Hungry for purpose at a time when faith, patriotism, hard work, family, self-confidence, these things have disappeared. And so when you have a vacuum that runs that deep, that is when the poison fills the void. Wokeism, transgenderism, climatism, covidism depression, anxiety, fentanyl, suicide. It's not an accident that we see these things at the same time. They're symptoms of this deeper void of purpose and meaning. So I think rather than pumping up with pharmaceuticals, faith-based approaches and otherwise, I think this is a restoration of purpose and meaning in the next generation. Personally, I think the loss of citizenship, the loss of American identity is a small contributor to that too. We hunger to be part of something bigger than ourselves, yet we can't even answer what it means to be an American. All right. That's the vacuum of purpose and meaning that we need to fill in this country. And that is going to take leaders at every level, not just a president. But if you're talking about a president, a president that comes from a different generation to lead the next generation. And we need more mental health care. A lot of these people end up in prison. We have more people getting mental health care. I use that in air quotes because it's not really mental health care. Yeah. Our top source of mental health care are our prisons. Private ones. So we need to also Private bring ones, back. So some of these mental health institutions, not pharmaceutical approaches, but faith-based approaches and otherwise to restore purpose and meaning. And so I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Actually, you know, my mom was a geriatric psychiatrist, actually, you know, growing up and treating not only patients with Alzheimer's disease, but earlier in her career used to deal with child psychiatry as well. Good but for her. it's now on steroids in this country. And I don't think the pharmaceutical industry has been a force for good in this respect. I, I really don't think so. Rather than just blaming the other, let's actually force ourselves to solve the actual deeper problem, that black hole in our hearts, that void of purpose and meaning. And that I think that's something that all of us, from presidents to pastors to parents across this country, can play a role in reviving. And, you know, you're a dad. You yeah. know, I think there's a role for parents to play. But I think there's also a role for leaders at every level to play, too. And the next president, I think that's something that we can do by setting a good example for the country. And they're always deflecting. If it's not, you know, Hawaii comes, suddenly there's the wildfire, and Hawaii happens to be on oceanfront land. Okay, I don't want to put the tin okay. hat on, but okay, the tin hat's on. <laughs> then you have, uh, you know, $6 billion to Ukraine. Nobody knows where it's at. And then you have UFOs all of a sudden. All of a sudden, we're talking about UFOs. 
could you tell me what is going on with this UFO? I'm a big guy for UFOs, but they're you know they're not here. But we're we're deflecting to the point of UFOs, like UFOs. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, what's your perspective on it, man? I, I, big fan. I, th yeah, I, I am, and I wish they were real. But I, I say, logically, and I've tried to have every astrophysicist possible in here. And regardless, if you can bend time and come here, I don't see how you're going to crash when you get here. And if you did crash <laughs> somehow, you make it to Earth, but I guess you crash. And if you did. The way people talk and and tell everybody, you mean to tell me that not one person has one piece of anything to show anybody or a real video? Like, I want it more than anybody, but not one thing? I mean, if they're here, I think we don't know it. But yeah, so I, I think they're not here, literally. But my view is just, why, why hold the secrets? If yeah. you're government, just be transparent. Here's what we know, here's what we don't. But... There's something deeper going on in the country. I think this is what you're right. what you were getting at with respect to climate ideology. Yeah, that was thing. just oh, my hope. <laughs> existential man-made climate change, right? Yes. Or that's that, that's the next temple of doom. We're always going to bend the knee to something. If it's not the real thing. If you're not pledging allegiance to that flag, you're going to pledge allegiance to a different flag instead. Maybe it'll be the transgender flag. So as I just do think we have this native hunger for purpose and meaning. In an absence of that, we're always going to relocate that to somewhere else. That's just the truth. Well, I meant it because he had just, I don't know if it was the time he couldn't account for the $6 billion Biden, that is, or when he sent $4 billion somewhere, but it was something right after some major mistake. Boom, all of a sudden, UFOs are here. Yeah. And then, boom, it's all deflection. of a sudden, yeah, there's a wildfire. And there's always so something. they've been doing this for years. This is their tactic. I mean, I mean, you think about, we, we talked about a topic earlier, the schools, right? Yeah. They shut down the schools during the COVID pandemic. Don't teach kids in the inner cities. Private schools were open, but they, didn't, yeah. they, teach, they don't teach the kids in the inner cities how to do math. Interesting how COVID just affects Certain public ones. school teachers. Yeah, yeah. Right, right? And, and who goes to the private schools, if I remember? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so you're, you're exactly right. So then what did they start saying last year? Math is racist. Why? Because there's unequal results on math tests amongst black kids in the cities versus white or Asian kids in the suburbs. Well, math is not racist, but what might be an inequitable result is a failure to teach those kids how to do math for two years. So what do they do? The woke smoke is a deflection. Right? Our U.S. military, we fight wars in Iraq and Afghanistan for 25 years. For right? no reason. 20 plus years. You know, what, what do we have? Trillions of dollars spent, six and a half trillion dollars wasted, thousands of American lives lost. But if you're General Mark Milley, what do you talk about? White rage and systemic racism. It is woke smoke to deflect accountability for their own failures. So it's the oldest trick in the book. You create a deflection to distract attention over there mm -hmm. to avoid accountability for your own failures. And that's not going to happen on my watch, but it's going to take gutting that swamp, going after that managerial class that's the real cancer we face in the united states and it's going to take someone who came from outside of it to address it how do you, how do you fix uh by the way thank you you sent tommy and myself uh your book woke it's awesome, uh, and, and, awesome. and signed it, it so yeah i, right. I, I appreciate awesome. it. i appreciate that how do you how do you fix this woke we call it woke i have a you know i'm i'm a irish descent and my wife's puerto rican so our kids are mixed uh, race. And he goes to public school, plays football, 
hangs out with kids of all different colors. And, you know, a kid the one day said to him, well, you're a racist. And Mm. it's just they, they want this division. And the kids don't even understand what they're saying. How do you fix where we're at right now? How do you fix this woke mentality? How? Yeah, so so there's a top-down version and a bottom-up version, and I think both are important, all right? So so a lot of what we're seeing in terms of woke policies, they're really like civil rights violations, and I'll explain to you how, okay? So the civil rights laws say that you can't discriminate based on race, sex, religion, national origin. Just take the religion prong for a second. The religion prong means that somebody can't, an employer cannot force an employee to bow down to their religion well the question is does some of this dogma in the modern dei agenda does it meet the supreme court's test for what counts as a religion well actually turns out it does there are certain words you can't say clothes you can't wear it's a comprehensive belief system the supreme court has held that secular humanism is a religion so this counts as a religion too they can't force you to bend down to this religion anymore they can to christianity or islam And so that's a civil rights violation on the books already. So I can go through other ways in which the political discrimination or the viewpoint discrimination, certain things you can't say. There's an instance of a woman who wanted to wear a red sweater to work to celebrate veterans in the U.S. Somebody else said that was a microaggression. So the company actually told her that she couldn't do that on Fridays anymore. A lot of this is a violation of the law as it exists. Now, my view, I'm. I actually have strong libertarian instincts. My view is if you want to leave it to the market totally, that's fine. So get rid of the protected classes altogether, race, gender, sexuality, religion. Get rid of it altogether and let businesses just decide what they want to do. I'm okay with that. But we're in the worst of all worlds now where you tell them you can't fire somebody or deplatform somebody because they're black or gay or Muslim or white or Jewish or Christian or Hindu or whatever. But somehow you can do it just because they express their opinions as an outspoken conservative. That's wrong. So the viewpoint discrimination that we see, the rampant viewpoint discrimination we see in the private sector, and I think some of that combined with the foisting of a modern woke agenda through DEI or ESG clothing, that's actually a violation of laws that are already on the book. So that's a top-down fix that we can enforce the laws as they exist, even-handedly. But part of this is why does this this trick only works, the top-down trick, if you have a culture that is willing to buy up Mm -hmm. what they're selling us. And why do we have that culture? It goes back to that hunger for purpose and meaning. If you don't believe in God, you're going to believe in something else. It's going to believe in this new religion instead. If you don't believe in country, you're going to subscribe and pledge allegiance to this new set of woke ideologies instead. And so that's the deeper issue is we are hungry for a cause We're hungering to be part of something bigger than ourselves, yet we can't even answer what it means to be an American. That, I think, is the cultural pre-existing condition, if you will, that allows us to subscribe to these modern dogmas. Where did you get your drive from? Your drive, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I know your dad told you, you know, you're going to be outstanding, be outstanding, but where did you get that drive from? Where you fall through that, you know, the hedge funds and dealing with the FDA. I mean, I'm getting a headache even just thinking about those two. And now president. I mean, this has got to be the biggest migraine of them all. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something that takes a lot of effort and drive. You know, it's hard. It's hard to answer that question about yourself. Because, you know, a lot of people watch and, and they see how successful you were in business too. And, and I, 
you know, just where where does that hunger come from? Where you're yeah. constantly hungry, like you know, you sleep four so, hours, work out. Let's go do so fifty I do think, more. I do think it's an advantage not to be born into a family where you have everything served up to you. Spoiled, yeah. You know, I, I think I think in some ways it was I you know your product of your circumstances, but I was in a family that was stable enough and middle class to be able to at least have access to a decent education, but not swimming in wealth enough that everything was served up to you. And, you know, and we went through some, you know, I mean, like every family does, or many families do, you know, some periods of financial insecurity and otherwise. My dad faced layoffs when he was at the GE plant in Evendale, Ohio. That shook our family during my upbringing a little bit. I think some sense of scarcity and insecurity actually gives you a sense of motivation, actually. And so that's something that, that's something that's good, actually, is it can give you a little bit of that hunger, hunger that yeah. you're otherwise missing. And even some of my classmates at Harvard that grew up in wealthy circumstances, they didn't have that same drive. I call it the mamba mentality. Mm-hmm. I was a big Kobe fan. The mamba mentality. Oh. Yeah, the mamba. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, Kobe. I mean, I miss him. I mean, Me I, think, I think we've lost that Kobe Bryant spirit in our country, right? Yeah. Pushing people to be the best version of themselves. And then some of this is also, I'm at my best when I'm guided by my sense of purpose, actually. If you believe you're doing something worthy, then you only need four hours of sleep. Kobe actually used to only get four hours of sleep, by the way. Yeah, he played the finals bone to bone. You know that. Against the Sixers, knee, bone to bone. Tore his Achilles, walked back out and shot those foul shots. Shot that final free throw, yeah. And then walked back on his own. That's something. that's, That's that spirit. And if you're guided by that sense of purpose and determination, you know, I think that that, in some ways makes the other stuff small, seems small by comparison. Nothing's going to stop you from achieving your purpose. And I feel like I'm pursuing my purpose now. I mean, you know, is it going to be easy to get in there and take on the deep state of the federal government, reduce it, lay off a million people in the first year, rescind those unconstitutional regulations, take on the military industrial complex, fight corruption in a corrupt abyss? No, you know, I'm not Nobody said it's going to be easy. Mamba mentality. You got to be set a purpose. Right? Yeah, mama. I love that. The mama yeah. mentality. That's what I'm going to take with me. It's too bad, man. We didn't have more years of that guy. I'm sure in his second <sighs> career, he would have been every bit the killer he was on the basketball court in a good way. But, you know, it's it's uh, tragedy would happen. You know, hope, he, hope he's in a better place. But, man, he sets an example that inspires yeah. a lot of young people in this country. And, you know, it's not just on the basketball court. You can find heroes that did this in every other sphere of life, too. But, you know, I'm going to do my part. We're going to set an example for kids in this country. And uh, yeah, speaking of the campaign trail, they're pulling me out. You know, got another you know, the next thing okay. right after here, speaking to a bunch of people. That's But that that's what this is about. Yeah. yeah you go back going. to back to back. And I came here from the last thing right beforehand. But I'm more energized by each conversation as long as we're guided by our sense of purpose. Go out and Talk to roomfuls of people from central Ohio to central Iowa. That gives me my energy. Actually. Rob, you got one quick? Go ahead. I got, we got, this is a random question. We asked this of all our guests. You got to answer it. The right. GOAT in the NFL. Quarterback. Quarterback. Who is the GOAT? Oh, uh, NFL, okay. Can be okay. retired. Can be retired. Right. Can be retired. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm tempted to give you Steve Young out the gate. Oh, but, uh, Ooh. but, 
but actually, but actually, like you know, I don't want to be proximity biased. The only the only one that would challenge him is Tom Brady. Uh, Brady, Tom Brady. He says Montana. Joe Montana. I think Brady. See, oh, I, I put I put Steve Young and uh, and Tom Brady both ahead of Joe Montana. I mean, he was the OG for sure. Yeah. But the OG is different than the GOAT. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I would say. It, I, I might be biased though, right? Because these are the guys I watched, you know, growing up. Yeah, and, me and too. Otherwise, was Joe Montana's before my era. So the old guys always get the short end of the stick a little bit and, when we're judging from the present. But I would give it between Brady and Young. And who you got in the Super Bowl this year? I know it's early still, way early. Who you got? Who's the Super Bowl this year? Come on, come on. I don't know, man. I want to tell you the Bengals. Uh, oh, so I don't want to be disloyal. All right, it's not. But it's not looking good. It's, <laughs> it's not looking good. I went to the Super Bowl two years ago when my Bengals made it. It's my first time ever to go. Awesome. Lost it in that final drive last year. Kansas City knocked us out. So I do the math. I'm still a. Ho- I'm a man of hope. So I think technically they're not out of the running yet. So I'm not going to give you any other answer until they're not yet. <laughs> well, now now you got to come back on because I didn't get to ask you about uh, Israel and that whole mess and Iran. Let's do it. Let's do, let's do that real quick. Let's okay. Do that real quick. So yeah, th- this dragging, whole th- I'll be just let's do five minutes. Yeah, on five minutes. Thank you. This yeah. whole thing with Israel and all that. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is all to start a war with Iran. Is that what this is about? And let's why? Let's just take a bigger step back. Yeah, even with what's going on Please with Ukraine. Do. We're marching our way to World War III. Yes. And I am worried that we're closer than we've ever been in my lifetime to get there. So you got the Russia-Ukraine conflict. That's we're marching, sleepwalking our way. Joe Biden is into a war with a major nuclear power that doesn't advance American interests. And they get mad at you because you want to make peace with everybody. Because you want to be cool with Putin, cool with everyone. Why is that bad? I would reopen trade relations with Russia. Why wouldn't you? That's Do I how think you Putin make is peace? a man who I want to be the godfather of my sons? No, no, I don't. But that's not the judgment I'm making as president of the United States. Right. My moral obligations to the people of this country, this war doesn't advance our interests. Thank you. And we can, do we trust Putin? I don't trust Putin, but I trust him to follow his self-interest. And you can Does, get along with the me? guy. You can get he along with the guy. He probably doesn't trust me on yeah. day one, but he can trust me to follow my self-interest. We can do a deal yeah. that actually secures peace in a reasonable way in Ukraine. Now let's talk about Israel. My view is this. Let's take a big step back. Israel absolutely has the right to pursue an Israel-first agenda, just as the U.S. has the right to pursue an America-first agenda. So I think Israel has the right to defend itself. But when you get America militarily involved, we're muddying the waters for everybody, right? This is how we create greater problems in the Middle East. We create it by being there. We shouldn't have been there in the first place. Why do we? They say they're going to hit yeah. your American bases in Syria and Iraq. My question is, why do we have American bases in Syria and Iraq? Thank you. That's a mistake. So it's going to take a leader from a different generation to shake up that foreign policy orthodoxy. My answer in the Middle East right now, to be honest with you, is the best solution in the long run is we need to find a path to get the hell out and Ask what actually advances American interests. And if you're worried about Iran, well, guess what? You have a balance of power in the region. The Arab countries, the Turks, the Israelis, they don't want Iran exercising more power either. So let them sort it out. We have a balance of power in the region. We've never done well by poking our nose into the Middle East. It's not going to be any different doing it this time around either. And that's to say what Hamas did Israel was wrong. But Israel has a right to defend itself. That's different from saying the U.S., ends up in some prolonged no-win war in the Middle East that we shouldn't be in. And I'm not going to apologize for that. And the other people in the GOP, the shameful Nikki Haley's of the world, these people make money off of war. That's what they do. Just look at how they've made their money as military contractors or otherwise. 
people have to understand the cynical forces that are actually driving this. I'm outside that system, and it's going to take an outsider to that system to actually fix it. So, as I told you, these guys are dragging yep, me out, but sure. that's such an important question. I didn't want to. I appreciate. I didn't that. want to, you know, leave that one hanging. Although we can talk about it more next time we chat. Sure. Thank you very much yeah, for your time. You. I appreciate it. We'll have all the links in the description. The book is great. Thank you for your time. Thanks, You're going to get in there and executive. Remember, everybody, just like at a company, he's the executive. He can wipe them out like that. In the executive branch. In the absolutely. executive branch. Yep. That's right. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Thank you, man. Good luck Thank to you. you. Best of luck. Best of luck. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good chat. Good it chat. Went, went right by, actually. So. Thank you so we'll much. Do it again.